At this time, I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to your Old Testament. If you uh, have been with us uh, for the majority of this year, we have not invited you to open your Bible to the Old Testament uh, since we were in Psalm 8 in January as we went through the New Testament uh, verse uh, book by book. But today we are in Malachi, which if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, uh, is on page 753. And it is the last and very brief letter that concludes our Old Testament uh, before eventually we hear the good news of Christmas announced by uh, the gospel writer Matthew. So we'll be in Malachi in chapter 1 and read the first few verses there. And we'll be here again on Christmas Eve as we remember that for we look back on Christmas and celebrate what it meant when Jesus came into the world, but for Many people, they were looking forward to the day when a Messiah would come, that there were promises of a Savior who would redeem his people. There was promises of a new king who would rule in righteousness. And so one of the ways that we uh, will sort of enter into the joy of this season is to go back even before Christmas to consider what were the expectations and the longings and the needs of the people of Israel that... uh, brought about the coming of our Savior into this world. So this is Malachi chapter 1. We'll read the first 11 verses. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his Master, If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those uh, that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. Malachi's uh, message that he has given to share with the people, first of all, is the good news of God's love. 
God, God uses Malachi to say to the people and to remind them that he loves them. And so that's the, the first message in verse two. I have loved you, says the Lord. And this is the good news that we still proclaim to the world. That the God who created us, created us, not because he had to or not because he needed to, but he created us in love. And that he governs this world and rules it, sustains it because he loves us. And his love seen in creation, in, in making of everything, was then reaffirmed in his then covenant that he made with the children of Israel when they were now broken and struggling and lost. And God said that in his love, he would promise his faithfulness to them, that he would be there for them in each and every circumstance they would face. And then later when they uh, became enslaved in Egypt, God came to them again and said, I still love you. And in my love, I'm still committed to you and I'm going to rescue you. And here we're reading now at a time in history where many of the people who had been exiled out of Jerusalem had actually been allowed to come back and to reestablish their lives and to rebuild their homes and to rebuild the temple. And that even that, if they had the eyes to see it, was an expression of God's love for them. That the fact that they uh, existed, that they were enjoying the circumstance of their lives back in the land, all of that was a declaration of God's love for them, his faithfulness to them over time. And then many hundreds of years after Malachi would announce this, this is again what is restated and reaffirmed and, and said even more strongly in the person of Jesus. Well, why did he come? Well, he came because God so loved the world uh, that he was willing to come and to be among us, to experience life on this earth and to be for us. This is the consistent message of scripture. And it's good news that we all need because all of us were created as relational beings and all of us long to be loved. Where does that longing come from? The answer of scripture is that it comes into each and every one of our hearts because we were made by a God who is loving. And so he's given us this capacity to love and not only given us that capacity, but then announced to us and shown us that he really loves us. And if that was where the book ended, we'd say, wow, it's a, it's, that is good news that God loves us. But is the moment that that is stated, it's immediately questioned. And so we have this rhetorical response on the part of the children of Israel that says, uh, but you say, how have you loved us? We're not, we're not really sure that you love us. And so though there is the good news of God's love for us, there's also the surprising reality of our rejection of that love. That in our humanity, 
Rather than accepting the evidence around us as testimony of God's love for us, we have this profound ability to reject that love and to not receive it. For our first parents, even though they were given the abundance of the garden and many, many things around them, what they focused on was, but why am I not allowed to have this? (laughs) So rather than saying, oh my goodness, God has given us this and this and this and that, uh, their focus became a rejection of all those other things that God had given them to consider what was it that God was withholding from them. And then this becomes repeated in the nation of Israel, that as he gives them their law and he gives them their covenant, they're surrounded by all uh, kinds of neighbors and with those neighbors, different gods and opportunities to worship other beings. And there again, they have this opportunity to thank God for his great love and to enjoy uh, the goodness that that's supposed to bring in their lives. Or they have the freedom to reject that and to pursue love in all the wrong places and they do they pursue it selfishly um, they, 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 they think something else will make them more happy or will make them more satisfied and so they go after other gods and they pursue other loves and this is a, a sad reality of our human hearts that we have this capacity though love is our deepest need to reject it even when it's offered to us from the very one who made us. And sadly, this reality uh, appears again even when Jesus comes in the flesh. John would open his gospel by saying that, that Christ came and do his own, but his own did not receive him. There was a rejection of the good news of God's love for them expressed in Jesus. And we might think that well, we wouldn't reject it ourselves if we really found it and knew the source of it. Uh, we would embrace it. Um, but part of why we look back in history and time is to recognize uh, that their rejection is our rejection, that we ourselves struggle on a regular basis to realize the abundance of God's provision for our lives the grace that he's given us, that every part of our lives, if we had the eyes of faith to see it, we would acknowledge are a gift, are an expression of his love. We all have individual needs that we can come to God with and and pray for and long that this situation go this way and this situation uh, go that way. And it's, it's fair and legitimate to bring those requests before God. But if we had the eyes of faith to step back a little bit, we could recognize that while we are waiting for individual breakthroughs or miracles to take place, our whole life is a gift. The fact that we exist is itself a miracle that we have every reason to be thankful for. But most of us take for granted, all of us do at times, Um, We have the opportunity in about a month, we're going to take our kids uh, to California. Uh, David has never been there. Uh, We took Levi and Joshua about six years ago, and uh, we're going to go around Martin Luther King Day weekend. Uh, That's where uh, my father, when he moved to this country, his whole family settled uh, in the Los Angeles area. 
and his mother is still alive. Uh, January 10th, she will turn 102. And so we want to go and to uh, see uh, the, our family that's out there. And one of the assignments that I then gave to myself in anticipating this trip, because my grandmother's no longer able uh, to remember who anybody is or then to tell us stories from her childhood or past, thankfully, um, my grandfather and her actually took the time being interviewed by one of their children to tell their story of their childhood, to record it, and then how they met each other, and then what the circumstances were of then the earliest days of their marriage together. And it's a short little booklet telling their story. But every time now when I travel to teach in Serbia, I take that book with me and I reread it. And uh, now that we're anticipating going uh, on this trip, I told Amy, I wanna, I wanna rearrange it a little bit because it's, it's sort of set up where my grandfather tells part of his story, then my grandmother tells her part, and then they describe each of the kids then they talk about world events. So it's more broken up, uh, not necessarily chronologically as an unfolding story. And I, I want to try to even help our boys just get the chronology of what they're sharing. And so I just want to rework it and basically summarize it for them so that as we go, uh, they would have a sense of why are we going here and, and who are we meeting and what is some of the backstory for which they'll be thankful for. But for me, it's been amazing to uh, reconsider the details and put those puzzles together where uh, my grandparents were married at 19 and 20, four months before the capital city that they lived right next to started to be bombed in World War II. And what was a war all around them within four months had finally become a war within their nation. And so they had to then flee to a small village to avoid the danger of the bombing. And then my first two uncles were born under occupation uh, in their city, and eventually six kids were born, and my father was the youngest. But in reading this story and their testimony of it, there are several points along the way where I just have to stop and say, oh my goodness, it's a miracle that I'm here. <laughs> this story could have gone so differently. There's nothing about reading this that says, uh, you know, this is just sort of automatic, A plus B equals C. There is so much danger and conflict around, so much uncertainty in this, that whatever bad day I might have, uh, which we all have them, there's also a sense in which I can step back and say, but the fact that I have bad days <laughs> is still a miracle. It's still a gift of God's grace that if this wouldn't have happened for them, then that would have meant my father never would have been born. And if he never would have been born, then I wouldn't be here. And if I'm not here, my kids aren't here. And all of us, uh, by just the fact that we're here, come from people that lived before us and went through incredibly difficult circumstances, all of which could have gone in very different ways. And so we don't have to deny the painful parts of our story and some of the hurt or any of the trauma that we might have experienced. But it is also helpful at times for us to remind ourselves that if we have the eyes of faith to see it, life itself is a gift, it's a miracle. And so what it should communicate to us is that God really does love us. 
How do we explain that we're here? Do we think it's just by accident? Or do we believe that it becomes uh, from the, the good and gracious hand of a loving father? And some of the ways that we grow to appreciate that love is actually in acknowledging the difficulties and the challenges that arise. And so that we don't have to ignore those or reject them in any way. Uh, last night over dinner, we were eating dinner earlier, and we had mentioned there's a, a, a light display, a Christmas light display pretty close to us, and I had taken our older two boys to see it, but the youngest hadn't seen it, and so we said, well, let's, let's all go together as a family. Well, once the idea came in, into the head, our youngest was like, can we go now? Can we go now? And we had to keep saying, well, it's not dark enough yet. It's not, we could go now, but you'll actually enjoy it more against the backdrop of the dark sky. And so we waited long enough until it was dark enough to enjoy the vibrancy of what was then displayed. And in our lives, it's oftentimes in our struggles, in our challenges, that we see God has really been with us. And this is part of what Malachi is then reminding uh, the people of Israel when, he, when they ask the question, but you said, how have you loved us? And the response back is, is not Esau Jacob's brother? What God is starting to do is remind them not only what's happened right here, right now, but all the way back in the beginning. It's by God's grace that Jacob received the blessing and Esau did not. And then when you read Jacob's story, you realize he actually messes up quite a bit. Uh, he makes wrong choices along the way that could have resulted in very different circumstances, and yet God continued to be gracious to him. And then as a whole nation, even when they sinned and they experienced the punishment of God in the exile, God never left them. Everybody in Malachi's day was living in the fulfillment of the promise of Jeremiah that though God had sent them into exile, he promised that he would bring them back. And there they were. They were back. God had answered uh, and fulfilled the promises of his word. And yet there they sat and still said, I'm not sure he really loves us. I'm not sure this is really special. I'm not sure that we have a whole lot to be thankful for. And so... Uh, God is speaking through Malachi to remind them all the way in the beginning of God's faithfulness. And here, even as they think about as the distinction is made between Jacob and Esau, first as two brothers, but eventually as two nations, in the course of their history, there, are, there have been other nations that have had the punishment of God upon them. And there's this reminder that, and some of them no longer exist that even if they tried to rebuild, they wouldn't be able to rebuild, that it's only with the blessing of the Lord that we exist, and it's only with the blessing of the Lord that we are redeemed. Now, if you read Israel's history, you know that people from other nations were able to enter into the covenant faithfulness of God to Jacob. Ruth is an example of that, and there are others. And so it doesn't mean everybody in all of those nations had no opportunity to receive the blessing or the love of God, but that blessing came to them as they were grafted into this covenant promise that he made, that their hope 
outside of Israel was the same as the hope of those in Israel, that it was ultimately not being Israel, but the God of Israel who provided the hope for them. And so we even have a psalm uh, in, in the later part of the psalms where the, they invite everybody to sing, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say that we, we wouldn't have made it. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, the punishment that had come upon the people in the exile could have caused the nation to cease to exist forever. But the Lord was on their side, and the Lord is on their side. And then as this chapter continues, it's really profound to see the way in which it's clear that Malachi is telling the people that they have rejected God's love, but they've rejected him while continuing to have an external show of the worship of him. And so he says, uh, uh, God challenges them to say, you're still coming to the temple, you're still giving offerings, but your heart is not in it. And you're not eager to come and give your best and your first. You're participating, you're coming, but you're just really sort of begrudgingly giving your last and your worst. And most of us, when we think about rejecting God, uh, we think about entirely running away from him, having nothing to do with God or the things of God. But Malachi is highlighting that, you know, it's possible to reject God while going to worship. It's possible to reject God while making a generous contribution to something. It's possible to reject God while praying. That there is a way in our human hearts to actually keep all of the the form and the formality of worship, but not actually give the honor that is due his name. And it's pretty profound when then what what the Lord himself says is, I actually would wish that somebody could lock the door and nobody could get into the temple. So that you wouldn't keep thinking you're doing the right thing when your heart is not in it and offering this vain sacrifice. I'd rather there be a complete stop and a reassessment and reevaluation to say, are we really in this? Are we really giving him the honor that is due his name? Are we really loving him the way that we should? Because there are, the sad thing is there are all kinds of ways to fake it. And if you, like me, were blessed to grow up in a context where people told you stories of the Bible, It doesn't take very long before you can learn what a few good answers are and a few nice things to say so that nobody actually digs deep and knows what's really going on. You don't have to know a lot to know how to fake it. But the one person we can never fake it with is the God who made us, the God who knows us and knows our hearts. And he's the one person we should never try to fake it with. That we should be willing to be completely open and honest before him. And so even in this rebuke, 
there's still this invitation that comes throughout this book for the people to be awakened by this prophetic message and to say, I I don't want to fake it anymore. (laughs) I want to realize how much I have to be grateful and thankful for. And so what we all need is the humble awareness of God's grace, that it's only by his grace that they exist. It's only by his grace that they're even hearing this message of rebuke. Because one of the ways he's expressing his love for them, because we read the chapter and we say, how do you say I have loved you? And then you say, I take no pleasure in your offering. Is God expressing two different things? Or is he expressing the same thing? And I submit he's expressing the same thing. I love you so much. I I don't love it when you fake it. (laughs) I love you so much. I don't love it when you're hiding from me. I love you so much that it does bother me when you settle for less than what I want you to have. I love you so much, I want what's best for you. I love you so much, I want what's right for you. And so even in the message that would not have been the most positive and encouraging message for the children of Israel to hear in Malachi chapter one, it is itself an expression of God's grace that he's confronting them to invite them to repent, to invite them to turn, and to realize he's been with them all along the way. And if they could really see it, they would desire to follow him better. They would desire to give them their whole heart, not just half of their heart. They would desire to put everything on the altar, not just their last and their worst. And some of those things, we, we, we all need those reminders over time to discern what is not just our daily routine or even the actions of other people around us, but to really discern the hand of God in situations. Uh, with our kids, we had a, a fun way, again, of just sort of highlighting some of this, that there's some things you only see in looking backwards that you can't deny the kindness of God in because you know it actually didn't happen by any direct effort or strategy of you yourself. It's more of a surprise that God did. And so uh, there was a point in time when uh, one of my sisters wanted to give my, our boys together a gift. And so she wanted to get them their first basketball hoop that we could put up on our garage so that they could play with. And she didn't want to wait till their birthdays because their birthdays are more when the snow falls. And so she wanted to get it for them early so that they could enjoy it. And so we installed a couple of years ago a basketball hoop, which for her intentionality was to express directly love for them, which it communicated. And it was fun to put it up and install it. One of the surprising things that resulted in it, though, is that it brought out, unbeknownst to us, a neighbor next door who our kids had never yet played with. But he saw the hoop. And so he was excited to bring a ball over and to start shooting. And we said, oh, we we haven't actually met him yet. We've met uh, the parents, but we haven't uh, met him. And here he is, and he's playing. And so then eventually a relationship formed between our boys and our neighbor next door. And then this past summer, as many of you know, we moved. And one of the sorrows in our hearts of moving was we really had a great relationship with our neighbors. 
and we did not uh, necessarily, we wanted more space uh, in our home, but we didn't necessarily uh, wish a new neighborhood or new neighbors. And so we tried to make sure in the good weather of the summer that they just played together as much as possible and enjoyed it. And they really did. And we had a lot of good weather and there were opportunities for them to play and enjoy it. And then this fall, uh, Levi had asked, is there a possibility for us to join a, a team? I, I wanna play in a, in a, in a sport. And so I said, yeah, I'll look up and see what's available. And I was so late in the game that most things weren't available anymore. And I was, thought I was going to have to say, hey, I'm really sorry, but Daddy missed all the deadlines. And there's really, uh, uh, I have to be a little bit earlier in the game uh, next year for this. But I texted uh, Jim Sawin, who leads the YMCA at Barber, and I said, do you guys have any basketball leagues that I could maybe sign up for? He said, we do. It starts next week. And so I was like two days before now the deadline uh, for it to start. And so we live in Norton now, and Barberton's the uh, next door community. But I said, we'll do it. And so we sign up for it. And then the moment uh, we get to practice that first Tuesday night, the first people that come behind us are our old neighbors. And we're like, what? And then as teams get divvied out, uh, now I'm coaching with my neighbor, my old neighbor, and our sons are playing together. I'm like, wow, this is cool. This is a different community for both of us. Neither of us live in this community, but we both happen to sign up here. And then yesterday was the last game of the year. And so driving back and just thinking through, you know, in your aunt's mind, she never thought this gift would open up a relationship with other people. And then in our minds, you guys think about all those times you were playing together you never thought one day you were practicing to be on a team together. That somehow this would sort of unfold in a way that, and when you look at the circumstances of it, you say, this wasn't mommy and daddy's plan, this wasn't their plan, this wasn't her plan. So do you see that at times though, when you never in the moment would have been able to discern it, but you can look back and say, God does surprisingly gracious things. <laughs> And he makes things happen in spite of ourselves, even at times when we make it more difficult or seemingly impossible. And when you come to realize that he really does do those kinds of things and way more, that he really is gracious, that he really does love us, and that what we celebrate in Christmas is not that he gave us his last or his worst, but that he gave us his first and his only his best. What else is the right response but to give him back everything? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its challenge. We thank you for the good news of your love for us, but we grieve that in so many ways we can reject it. In so many ways we can neglect it and take it for granted. And so we pray that you would help to soften our own hearts in the midst of painful experiences and difficult times that you would still help all of us to realize the love that we are surrounded by, the grace that has shaped each and every one of our stories. And we thank you that in Jesus you have given us your best, your one and only Son, to confirm in us that you really, completely, forever love us. 
and that you are always with us. Heavenly Father, renew our sense of wonder at your great gift and your great love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.